0: Hey guys, today's episode of Table 40 on the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network is presented by our Increase Store and our Bible in a Year Engagement Journal, which you should pick up your copy today, especially with Matt and Leslie going through the Bible in a Year. This is the companion that's going to help you, the guy that's going to help you through the passages of Scripture each and every day. You want to get this journal right now at theincrease.com theincrease.com. It's affordable and it's the perfect companion to help you grow in your faith and to stay connected to God through his word each and every day. The Bible in a Year Engagement Journal. Get yours today at theincrease.com.
1: Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Table 40 podcast. Leslie and I are here to continue as we walk through the Bible in a year. And today we're gonna focus in on Luke 7:36 through 962 and talk a little bit of Leviticus. And so let's jump right into it.
2: Yeah, I think it's important. We finished Leviticus this week, and um, I just kind of want to go through just an aerial view of Leviticus, because we haven't talked in depth um, over our time together in the podcast. And so I, Leviticus is actually a very beautiful book when we when we look at the main ideas. And it's the third book of the Bible. God had just moved his people out of Exodus in a very dramatic fashion. Remember that, like parting of the Red Sea, and uh, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to leave. And so there was specific instruction, but God was faithful to move his people out of Egypt um, in a dramatic fashion. So Leviticus comes after um, God's chosen people being removed from Egypt. Um, He brings them to the foot of Mount Sinai and makes a covenant with them. And it's this invitation of a conditional covenant that he makes uh, with his people. There's no surprises in this relationship. God said, this is the way Um, I expect you to behave. And they're like, yes, we agree. We've got this. We're going to be obedient to you. You're holy. We're not. And there's this interaction and this dialogue there. And the people say, we agree. And God says, however, if you don't do the things that I'm asking you to do, there will be a consequence. So there were no surprises in this covenant that, um, this covenant relationship that God made with man. However, they quickly rebelled. We know this and they broke the covenant. And then we get into this tabernacle talk. Um, And the tabernacle is fascinating. I want to encourage you to spend time understanding the tabernacle. We're not going to get into all the details in this podcast, but it's a very interesting uh, and important part of understanding scripture. Tabernacle is where God's presence is, um, but how can such a sinful people be uh, reconciled to God? Um, So we start to see this, like there's, there's a a distinction between a holy God and sinful man. And and this is the tabernacle sort of shows us that distinction. And um, so Leviticus is how God graciously provides a way for his people to live in his presence. And we see that through the tabernacle. So God is holy. He's set apart. um, The space around God is holy. We see that when he even called Moses into the burning bush scene. Remember, like, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. And so God is establishing uh his Holiness in the book of Leviticus but also establishing that that the presence of a holy God can be with the people but it comes with boundaries um and so it's it's fantastic how how we can read this and we can see the consistencies here the holy God sinful man God's presence um, is available um and it, it's just learning how to live in God's presence and we see ritual, Priests and purity. Um, And I think that that's important to to think through when we think about what we learned in in Leviticus over our time reading it together. We see ritual um, sacrifice, like the thank yous and I'm sorrys in chapter one through seven, um, which I think is fascinating. We see these uh, offerings of grain offerings, which is like this fellowship, like thank you, thank you for blessing us. And then we see these atonement, the I'm sorrys. and, And that was the animal dies. And so you bring this unblemished animal to, um, the, to, as an offering and as the animal, and this is graphic, but it is, it's a picture of what's coming through Jesus Christ. And it's this atonement, um, for the, I'm sorry. And the animal would die in, in your hands and you would see the blood leave the body. Um, and it's like his, that animal's blood would cover your sins, of course, temporarily, but it's this reminder of God's grace, but the seriousness of sin, and I and you think about that, Matt. Like in the Old Testament, God is building, like God is on the move, and He's building this theme that is that sometimes lost in in 2023 of the seriousness of our sin. And I, I just think that picture of the thank yous and the I'm sorries and these ritual sacrifices really does paint a very clear picture that our sin is very serious to a holy God. Um, We see ritual feasts in Leviticus, uh, which I think is just beautiful because it reminds them to remember to tell the story of God's faithfulness. And they celebrate through gatherings and through feasts. Um, We see that the priests were ordained and there was there was um, intention between ordaining the priest for being in God's presence and doing the ministry of a holy God. Um, We find qualifications of being a priest in chapter 21 and 22 and again like we're rolling through this really fast but there is beauty in Leviticus and um we see like uh something that's familiar to us now is the priests needed to have integrity and uh they they were they were um, representing the people before God and God to the people and so there was there was a it was very important for the priests to take it seriously their role and to be men of integrity and men that pursued holiness um i think another quick highlight that we can we can pull out and i think this is going to help us understand luke a little bit better is that we see um, in chapters 11 through 15 about what caused impurity um, and there's a lots of ways to be considered unclean or contaminated or impure it's like touching dead things like discharge and um and uh di- like impurity was uh, a temporary state and so we're going to see in luke that jesus um, about the woman with the bleeding discharge about jesus entering spaces where people had been dead um so touching these unclean um, people is is fascinating when you really understand leviticus and so god touched versus the impure coming to the tabernacle, right? You see what I'm saying? And it's just this beautiful picture. Um, And Leviticus 18 through 20, it's just this reminder of, look, you guys are my chosen people, and I want you to live differently than the Canaanites and all the ites that we see in the book of Leviticus, And, and that the people of God are going to care For the poor, Um, we're going to have sexual integrity and we're going to really get serious about social justice. And I think that that's a good aerial view of 18 through 20. And um, anyway, but the whole book is just this call to faithfulness um, and and being obedient to God. And obedience equates uh, peace and abundance living that God said on Mount Sinai that this is the expectation of how this thing is going to shake out. And so, Isn't it fascinating when you look at it from like a big aerial view, you know, and I think to me, what touched my heart the most was, uh, just the, the uncleanliness portion of it, you know, like I drew a little drawing on my notes and it's like, God is holy. God is set apart. He's the creator life and goodness, purity, justice, all of those things. God embodies all of those things. And in order for us to pursue holiness, we have to go to God and we bring our things like, you know, we bring, um, we bring our sin to a holy God. And then we see with Jesus that the holy God comes to us, you know what I'm saying? And so it's just fascinating and it causes me to really worship. And I read scripture differently because I read Leviticus, um, kind of from front to back this week and really wanted to understand like, what did he mean with the uncleanliness? And and I just think it's amazing in the Christian faith that our holy God came to us through the life of Jesus Christ. And that's what we see uh, big time this week when we read Luke. So any thoughts on that? I just really think
1: for somebody like me who doesn't really like blood and stuff, that I would really not like to take an animal, which I also love dogs. I don't know, if that, but I like animals, and to carry that animal and have it slaughtered in my arms to make up and have the blood get all over me, I think would prohibit me from, I mean.
2: Well, it would cause you to take sin more seriously, that's for sure. And I think that that's something that, um, but you wouldn't be able to be sinless. No, but I But there would I'm be like saying, immediate like, understanding of your consequence for sin, and that's what we've lost as a people is that we don't realize that Jesus was the unblemished lamb of God and that Jesus blood atoned for our sins. And and he did something and took our place because we couldn't do it on our own. And I think like when we get to heaven someday, I believe like, and and again, like this is, this is like, take it. This is what I I think based on scripture, I'm not saying anything that's not scriptural, but I am kind of using my imagination here, but I believe like, I see the face of Jesus and I think he's going to give me a big hug. But then there's this moment of judgment that all of us will experience and, and we are accountable to all the things that we've done and all the sin that I've committed is I'm accountable for my actions. And I think it's similar to in Leviticus where you would carry the unblemished animal to be sacrificed and I am responsible for the death of this animal because I'm responsible for my personal sin. And I think there's a moment where I'm going to feel the weight of Jesus's death in a way that I've never felt it before. Do you see what I'm saying? And I mean, I don't know this to be true, but this is kind of what I think about. And and that's sort of uh, the reason why I truly desire to live a life of integrity and honor before the King, because What he did for me is starting to make, it's becoming weightier as I get older and I get into scripture. Like I truly am repentant for my sin because I know that what Jesus did on the cross was not just another Monday. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't just another day in the life of Jesus Christ, our savior. Like that was a real sacrifice and real blood was spilled and a real death happened in, in such severity, obviously, and, um, our sin serious. And as believers, we've really got to get to a place where we start to understand that our sin is offensive to a holy God and our sin is serious. And, um, we need to live with a greater awareness of that, you know? I mean, what do you think?
1: Yeah. I just think that it's so dumb. I was thinking about like, Could you imagine, like, uh, on Nickelodeon, like when you sinned, like, if the poor instead of pouring slime on your head, they poured blood all over you? My gosh, you gotta go. Okay,
2: Luke 7. I can't imagine. Like, so, all right, Luke 7 36, it's talking about a sinful woman forgiven. So, um, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house, and he's talking about Jesus. And he took his place at the table. And I love that. He took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears and wiped them with with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the anointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this he said to himself if this man were a prophet he would have known what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner and jesus answered him answered answering said to him simon i have something to say to you and he answered say it teacher in verse 41 a certain money lender who had two debts one owed 500 denarii and the other 50 when they could not pay he canceled the debt of both now which of them would love him more And Simon answered the one, I suppose, for whom canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. And she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss from the time I came in. She has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And I think like this passage of scripture embodies a lot of what we studied throughout the week. And I wrote several notes in there, but I would love to ask you, like when you hear that, what source of things do you do you think about
1: well i think about um a lot of us who we like to judge our sins based on severity um compare comparison to others and so while our sins may not be in our minds as severe or as heavy or or as you know in this case uh she's i mean She's not, but at the same time, like we're all in need of a savior. And so when you think about, um, we all should be wetting Jesus's feet. And when we look at our own lives and like that, that whole like, um, story of the debt. And if someone owes you, you know, who who's going to be more thankful. And so I, I think that it's just a reminder of. Even if you're at a place in your life where you feel like you're, you're not these grieving, these, these big sins, like every sin we should grieve like this woman and our thankfulness and our gratitude should not be, um, sort of, um, I don't know. I I guess just kind of dumbed down because we feel like we're, we're doing well, or we're, you know we're we're sort of in a period where we're reading our bible and we're praying and we're doing all those things to where it's just like this constant reminder of what god did for us and what what we what we deserve and what he paid the price that we get mm-hmm. and so i just i just think about like you don't have to be in this sort of period of you know addiction or you know some of these worldly like big sins our heart should always look look like this woman who, um, obviously, is is so appreciative of of Jesus and her worship of Jesus and her adoration for Jesus. If that's what our lives should look like, and and that doesn't matter where we think our sin level per se is at.
2: Yeah, and I think for me, like I think about Leviticus and like this unclean. State Like uh, we was talking about uh, what would deem you unclean is even like a uh, sexual lack of sexual integrity. And it's, it seems that this woman, what the man was referring to is, is she was a sinner and that may have been her, her bag. And I, and I think to me, like, what is it about Jesus? So Jesus is taking his, his seat at the table and um, behold a woman of the city who was a sinner, She learned that he was reclining at the table of of the Pharisee's house. So this is basically like Jesus is at church. So modern day Jesus is at church. And this woman who wasn't involved in church at all heard that Jesus was there. So what was it about Jesus that caused a woman that everyone seemed to be aware of had this consistent pattern of sin in her life? What was it about Jesus where she felt like she could enter the space that she was probably unwelcome and uncomfortable in? And, and go and worship him the way that she did. And I don't know, I think about that. And I think like I'm picturing Jesus reclining at this Pharisee's home and here comes this gal and um, they clearly knew who she was. And she she came unclean and she entered the space unclean. And to me, like how we would build a bridge now is I think that it's so important if we're going to represent Jesus appropriately, We need to understand that all are welcome. It's the whoever. It's like whoever believes in me. And so we should never disqualify someone based on on their sin pattern. Like our job is is to bring them to the table and to bring them to Jesus and to help someone create an environment to where someone can have this encounter with Jesus Christ and make Jesus the main thing. And so this woman has a lot of sin. And then, of course, Jesus forgives her and, and um, meets her where she is and doesn't have this expectation of, um, OK, go take a shower and and clean yourself up a little bit first, and then we can talk. It's like, no, no, Jesus meets her right where she is and accepts her worship and accepts her, you know, um, this interaction just as, as she is. And I think that that's beautiful. And that's something that we see consistently. Throughout Scripture is that our holy God um, doesn't demand like cleanliness first or a, appearance of that. Like just our holy God enters. We're all enters in the, the same mess. boat. We're all in the same boat. Like so, we
1: can't. We, it's not our job to judge like the the gravity of each other's sins.
2: Mm-hmm. And I love how it says, "Your faith has saved you. Go in peace." And I think he says this several times throughout this week's reading. And it's like I think. What this means is your faith in me has saved you go in peace, like in Jesus, like you came to the right guy, like your, your faith that I could do what you thought I could do is true. Like I can do the impossible. And I'm the one through faith in Jesus Christ alone, by the grace of Jesus Christ, we receive salvation in it and we receive it. We don't achieve it. Just go to the feet of jesus all of us are are equal before the cross of christ and i think that that's what we see repetitively throughout our reading this week and um a couple i i was really blown away this week when we when we look at chapter eight and we get on down to um um verse 16 and we've heard this multiple times as as christians especially if we were raised um in the church like this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, you know, and, and I, I read it a little bit differently this week, um, as I was studying scripture in verse 16, it says, um, actually let's go up to, to verse 14. It's, and it's talking about, um, the parable of the sower and Jesus is explaining the seeds falling on, on the good soil and all the things, but in verse 14, it says, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear talking about hearing the word of God, but as they go on their way they are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature um verse 15 as for what as for that in the good soil they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience and so um think about that so it's basically saying like the word of god is is in us but we get so worried about the cares and riches and pleasures of life; that the fruit that God intended to mature in us does not mature because we lose focus and we and we worry too much about, um, we we don't seek the kingdom of God in a way that we could. We 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 worry about things that really we weren't supposed to worry, or designed to worry about. But in verse fifteen, it says, "But however, if the word of God is in good soil." you hold fast in an honest and good heart and, and bear fruit with patience. And so um, as we, as we hear the word of God, we bear fruit with patience and we allow the word of God to impact our life in such a way that we, we mature. But then it says in verse 16, now, or it says no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on the stand so that those who enter may see the light And I think that that's such a beautiful picture. It's like, if you have like Jesus in you or the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, then what scripture is saying is is like, no one should hide that. Like we should be, um, we should have this understanding in this, in this, I, I guess, like this expectation that if we walk into a room as a Christ follower, you are expected to let your light shine. And I think there's wisdom in that. Like something I was thinking through is like, light creates an environment like we're planning a wedding um coming up and in light lighting is a big deal it creates an environment it creates an ambiance for the event to occur and i think like sometimes it's important to be a dim light or a light that is that unquestionably i mean no there's no doubt it should be there but sometimes you you're subtle In in the way that you represent Jesus, there's a subtleness to the way that you represent Jesus, like the, you for sure are there, but there's a subtleness to it. And sometimes it's like disco ball vibe where you're just like, you're there and it's obvious and, and you're loud about your faith and you're, you're, you're shining bright for the Lord. Right. But sometimes there there's wisdom in the subtleness and in both representations of light, um, impact the environment that they're in. You know what I'm saying? Like what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I mean I think that there's always uh reading the room as we've talked about there's there's a presence of um knowing who you're around and and yeah like your light doesn't always have to be on full blast. Um sometimes you know knowing your circumstances or the people that you're with or um reading the the room is is uh is wise and i think that that's that's something that as you get older you hope that you get better at
2: yeah i think so too and i and i just think but unquestionably carry the light into the room so to speak but then use wisdom and discernment for how it shines you know it's fascinating Mm -hmm. and so when you when you think when you think through it in this way um another another um moment of pause for me this week was, was reading chapter eight, uh, verses 22 through 25. And it's talking about Jesus calming the storm. And so, um, one day he got into the boat with his disciples and said to him, let us go across to the other side of the lake. And so we have to, when we're writing our notes, we have to say, okay, Jesus was with them before they got on the boat, before they went on this journey. So they set out, Jesus included, and they sailed, and he fell asleep, and the windstorm came down on the lake, and they were, and they were filling with water, and were in danger. So it is talking about, and scripture is depicting like there was severity in this storm, and it was scary because of the circumstances were real, and there was a reality there that the boats filling with water, these guys are in danger. In verse twenty-four, it says, and then they went and woke him, saying, "Master, Master, we are perishing." And he awoke and rebuked the wind. In the raging waves, and they ceased, and they were calm. And verse 25, he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obeyed him. And I think as I was thinking through this passage of scripture this week, I had several thoughts: is that Jesus is always with us in the storms. And um and I, I mean, I know that we've all heard that a million times, but like it, our circumstances sometimes in the storms of life that, that we have all experienced, they seem like they're not, it's not going to be a temporary storm. It seems like it's going to go on forever and ever and ever. And I think that it's pretty cool that um, scripture allowed us to see very clearly that they were actually in danger and, and the circumstances were uh were in fact difficult but they went to jesus and they went to jesus in the midst of the storm then and they were honest in their hey we're gonna die and i think that this to me like i mean there's a there's several things that you could draw out of this passage of scripture but to me the thing that touched my heart the most this week is that that jesus um was with him in the calm waters and he was with him in the raging storm but there's a pattern of perspective in a pattern of prayer that we might be able to draw out of this. That would be very wise if we're experiencing something difficult in life, like acknowledge the fact that your circumstances are scary and that you feel in danger, but without a doubt, go directly to Jesus and say look i am dying i am perishing i am afraid i am i am i am and be honest with your petition to the lord and say this is what i feel right now this is what the situation is and don't sugarcoat it but go to the lord and say hey that i am i'm struggling you know and so i think that that's really i don't know to me that's what i wrote in my notes Mm -hmm. this week about jesus is in the middle of it with us and um and be willing to go to the Lord immediately. Right. And so what do you think about that?
1: Well, he knows anyways. I mean, we may as well be super honest and uh, just, you know what I mean? Like I don't think there's any shame in, in being honest mm-hmm. um, with what you're dealing with or even doubt or just anger or sadness um, because he knows anyways. Yeah. And so there's, there's no, there's no shame in being honest. He can handle it. And so I, I think that that's that's something that when you get real in your prayer life and you get real um, when it doesn't have to be pretty, it doesn't have to be cleaned up, it doesn't have to be. Um, you can just, I mean, I, I, it says over and over, like you know, he he can handle whatever you've got. And so I think that that's just encouraging that you can just be flat honest in, in times of sorrow and in times of joy, just mm-hmm. expressing. You know how you feel is is something that, that he's he, he wants from us
2: yeah yeah and i think like maybe the question when he says where is your faith like i maybe he's asking in such a way and and to me like when i wrote the notes like where is my faith in the storm is my faith in jesus to where jesus can calm not necessarily take me out of the elements but can he calm my raging anxiety can he calm my raging you know um whatever it may be and the answer is yeah like when i place my faith in jesus i can trust that there's peace there and i i think that that um that's pretty incredible and so i i wonder if he's encouraging this you know this this come to me come to me you know and i I love it i love the word of god um, we get into Jesus healing this demon possessed man. So, so they they sail across, they land, um, and and they walk right into a man from a city who had demons. And and it says in scripture, and I and I love this too. Uh, for as long as he had worn for for a very long time, he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house, but but he lived among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice. Uh, what have you come to do with me jesus son of the most high i beg you do not torment me so he goes on and on and verse 30 is pretty powerful and and jesus asked him what is your name and i love that that the god in his holiness he he offers dignity to a man that clearly had no clothes on that had not been living in his home that had been living in the tombs and he says what is your name and to me it's like jesus christ is a man that embodied all kinds of goodness. But the goodness I see here is to look a man in the eye that has been walking around for many, many years with incredible shame and torment and says, what is your name? And he offers dignity to this man. And the man says, my name is Legion, for many demons had entered him. And so it's fascinating to me that his his name was associated with his sin. And I think many of us do that and we forget who we really, really are uh, when we're plagued with things that are difficult in life. And sometimes we uh, we rename ourselves in such a way where we associate with our with our sin. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. What do you think about that?
1: I don't know. I guess for some reason I, I had read that like he was talking to the demons and that the name of the demons was Legion. But I guess I read that wrong. But I I don't know. I I guess just I don't know when I think about that and these these demons like even they like noticed Jesus right away. They're Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, don't you know put us into the pigs? Like you know they 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 knew the power of who Jesus was immediately and begged to be put somewhere else. Obviously, and Jesus sends them off into the into the ocean yeah, um, or the sea but uh, I don't know I, I guess it's just like I just try to visualize these these events and just um, I can't imagine like the relief and like the joy and like just the the peace and like the rest that this man felt when those demons were cast out of him into the pigs and he was able to just rest at Jesus's feet And I don't know, I just try to picture that and just like what he must have felt that day for the first time in a long time where he could just lay at Jesus's feet in a cool grass after those demons had taken off over the cliff and were gone. Mm -hmm. It's just, I don't know, it's just a pretty powerful visual.
2: Yeah, and in verse 38, it talks about that. The man from whom the demons had gone, begged that he might be with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city, how much Jesus had done for him. And it's that simple. You encounter Jesus, he'll set you free. And then our responsibility and the miracle that's that's occurred in our life, we tell people about Jesus Christ. And I wonder if, and and one of my favorite pastors, his name's Charlie Dates, and he's I've listened to him describe so eloquently this passage of scripture. And he paints this picture of, of this man going back home. And, and, and like the little boy runs out and was like, I think it's dad. And mom's freaking out. She's like, oh my gosh, I hope not that guy, that guy's nuts. And um, then the little boy, dad and little boy have this interaction. Like I'm free from all of this and I'm coming home and I'm going to be the dad that you remembered me to be. And Charlie does such a beautiful job of making this passage of scripture just come alive. But it's so true, is that sometimes life gets really, really hard. And and we, we, we get into spaces that we become unrecognizable to our families, we become unrecognizable to ourselves. And but the power of Christ can set us free from any of it right. And be able to go home and, and, uh, be maybe a family again, who knows The scripture doesn't talk about the, all those details, but it is fascinating to, to think about like how, how Jesus impacted this man's life, the rest of it, the rest of his life. Right. And so, uh, scripture is beautiful. And we get into, um, um, verse 40, through 56 and there's a lot here we see that jesus heals a woman um, with a bleeding a bleeding disorder and then and jerry's daughter who was um she she died or jesus says uh she was asleep and so again we can point back to leviticus and how there's this temporary unclean state that only the holiness of god could restore and we see jesus here in his holiness the holy god came to us in flesh through Jesus Christ and and we see how Jesus interacts with the unclean like he pursues them in such a way that is beautiful um we see that this woman in verse 43 and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and though she had spent all of her living on physicians she could not be healed by anyone and she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased and Jesus said who is it that has touched me when all denied it peter said master the crowd surrounds you they're pressing on you but jesus said no nope, someone has touched me for i perceive that power has gone out of me and when the woman saw that she was not hidden she came trembling and falling down before him declaring in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and she had been immediately healed and he said to her daughter Your faith has made you well go in peace. And there's so much here. And this woman is unclean. She's an outcast. She's got a blood disorder. She's living in a Jewish culture. Like for her to have the courage and boldness to go to Jesus, what was it about Jesus that she felt like, man, I got to go. I got to go and touch him. No one can heal me, but I know he can. And so in her boldness and her courage, she takes a deep breath. She enters the crowd and she knows darn well that that ain't going to go over well. if They figure out, okay, she's the woman with the bleeding disorder, And but she does it anyway. And she goes and touches his garment and Jesus immediately recognizes her. He offers her, offers her dignity and he wants her to be seen. She comes out of hiding. He says, come out of hiding, sis. You're safe here with me. I want to restore you. I want you to go and tell your story. And my cleanliness and my holiness is going to be transported to you in such a way, like transferred. The cleanliness of Jesus Christ is transferred to um. This woman, and like scripture says, it is we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ, and I see that here. And it's all about this encounter with Jesus Christ, and what is unclean can be made clean in an instant. And I love that. I think that this story tells the story of the gospel, and her faith in Jesus has made her well go in peace, you are no longer unclean. You see what I'm saying? It's beautiful, yeah. and I love it. I love this particular um story in scripture. And I think that it's just beautifully represents the gospel It's Christ alone, through our faith alone, um, because of his grace alone, that we receive salvation and, and clean cleanse from been cleansed from our sin. Right. And so um I love that. And so we get into chapter nine and and this is where uh our our story our week is done is, is what chapter nine and there's 62 verses in chapter nine, but he sends out his team. And so, uh, he called the 12 together, gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God to heal. And he's like, go on it's time. And so, um, we see that Jesus feeds the 5,000, which I think is, 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 Cool every time. Like, hey, bring me the fish, bring me the loaves. I'm going to do the rest. And I think that that's a a beautiful example of how to do ministry. If you're in vocational ministry, or or you're really wanting to um, pursue ministry, uh like at your at your work or in your home or whatever, understand who's doing what. And I think that we see that there. Like, be responsible to bring your fish and your loaves to Jesus but be humble enough to allow Jesus to do the rest. And so, um any thoughts on that?
1: No, I, I just think that going back to when we got a chance to hear Dallas Jenkins speak and he talked about our job is to bring our fish and loaves and see what Jesus does with it. And whatever that looks like in in each of our lives is to bring our fish and loaves. And so, um I just it was really powerful when we got a chance to to hear him talk about that that's beautiful i just think that you know when you take that and you think about what are my fish and loaves and just to trust that jesus will do it takes the pressure off
2: yeah and and it also releases the outcome Mm -hmm. like we're called to to be faithful and we're we're called to to understand that um we have a responsibility, this relationships, the Lord mandates this responsibility to seek first the kingdom and to, to use the gifts that God has given us uh, to glorify him. So how do we do it? And I think it's not about like seeking the stages in the crowds. It's about being faithful to the Lord and saying, here, have this. And, and I'm going to trust that you're going to do with it, what you want to do with it. Right. And be humble in that way. And I just see too many people that are They worry about the outcome way more than the process. You know what I'm saying? And and I just think uh, the fish and loaves, when we see that repeated through the gospel, like that's a very healthy process, Mm -hmm. like give to the one that can multiply, just be faithful to give to the one that can multiply. And um, I think the greatest question that we can ask ourselves and we can ask those in our sphere of influence is uh, verses 18 through 20 in chapter nine. Now, it happened that he was praying alone and the disciples were with him. And Jesus asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, oh, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and others that the prophets of old have risen. And then Jesus asked this question, and this is the most important question in your whole entire life. And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, the Christ of God and we're going to close here because there's other beautiful things uh, we have the transfiguration we have um who's the greatest we have jesus foretelling his death and and uh, the cost of following christ but i think it's important to close here because i think that this is a question that um if you're listening to this podcast and you are not a believer you don't know how to answer who is jesus um well, matt's going to close this podcast in prayer but I I think that this is just the most important question that you can ask yourself and you can ask the ones that are in your sphere of influence, but who do you say I am? And, uh, I know for me, I answered that. I know Jesus is the Christ. I know Jesus is the son of God. I know that I believe in him. I answered that question when I was a freshman in college at Oklahoma state university. And, um, man best yes like it was a slow maturity process for sure in those first couple years but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt I've been walking with the Lord for a long time now and um, Jesus this is who Jesus is Jesus is the son of God um, John 3 16 you know I, I just it's, it's beautiful and it's been um, the greatest joy to learn more about jesus christ my lord and my savior and again i answered that question as a freshman in high school um in my ford mustang on the side of the road <laughs> That's and a i think story we need to talk about for another day
1: that question it takes all, a lot of the doctrines and like the i mean, people get into debates about different methodist or baptist or catholic or like when jesus says who do you say that i am like i think that's the most important answer that you can have not are you baptist are you this that's the question that matters the most. yeah
2: they say jesus plus nothing equals everything and jesus rescued me and then he's become the lord of my life and he's my savior he saved me and then i allow him to lead me and um, i desire to be obedient to what he says is best. And of course I don't do it perfectly, you know, more than anybody in the whole world. I don't do it perfectly, but man, that's a desire that I have. And the more I know about the Lord, the closer I want to be to Jesus. And the more I want, um, the image of God to reflect more clearly in who I am becoming as a woman. And, um, man, but, but meditate on that this week. Think about that. Think about, um, Luke 9, 18 through 20. So anyway, why don't you close to the prayer?
1: Okay. Father God, we just come to you today. Uh, we thank you for, um, just the opportunity to, to look at your scripture and the gospel of Luke and to talk about, um, what you want for our lives and we pray god that we would bring our fish and loaves and god that you would reveal our fish and loaves and what we um and then our light and god that you would help us in how to reveal our light and we just thank you that you love us we thank you um, for people that might be listening to this that maybe don't know you god that you would continue um, to to move in their hearts and that they would really ruminate on the question of who is Jesus to me? And as God, we look at that. And, and, and as you make it clear to us who you are and God, that you are um, our savior and God, that you are our hope. And we just thank you for that hope. And we love you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to Table 40 with Matt and Leslie Holiday, part of the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. For more stories on sports intersecting with faith, visit sportspectrum.com.